0: I'm Henry Standage, and you're listening to the Western Science Speaks podcast. What's the weirdest thing you do? Something that lacks explanation, but in the larger picture, help makes you uniquely you. It's strange to consider that behind every subtle quirk, slight idiosyncrasy, and peculiar characteristic is a code. Our DNA defines us individually, and what we are collectively. Molecular biologists attempt to study DNA in a multitude of organisms, with the hopes of finding the concrete similarities and differences between the creatures that inhabit Earth. Dr. Kathleen Hill from the Department of Biology at Western University studies the signatures of DNA with the hopes of obtaining a greater understanding of how DNA is affected over the course of a lifetime. On this episode of the podcast, her and I examine how our DNA can change, what effects that has, and the important role genetic variation plays in society. How does uh, DNA actively change over the course of a lifetime? Because I mean, from an evolutionary standpoint, it's easy to see, and I'm sure the patterns change drastically as we go away from our original ancestor. But over the course of my lifetime, can I expect my DNA to change in any way?
1: Yes, you could. So in my classes last year in human genetics and in the mutagenesis course, we looked at embryo development as one place where the genome was changing dramatically duplications, deletions, cells with, it's the same organism that's developing. It's increasing from the single cell zygote to the multi-celled organism. And during that process very early on and pre-implantation, so many changes that they're finding. In fact, they use it to sort of study cancer mechanisms because there's such rapid division during embryo growth, rapid division during cancer. So we're learning that all of those cells can have a different uh, genome. So what we might call it a blueprint, and then people would think it's static, it doesn't change, but no, we need to think of it as very dynamic. I'm working on a paper right now about the brain, and the brain is probably one of the places where if we took cells from different areas, sequenced their individual genomes, we would find that they're different. This can add to the complexity of how a brain works, but it also in cases of schizophrenia or autism, this could be a contributor to too much variation in the brain. So it might be essential for brain function, but there might be a threshold or there might be a change in there that is just too much in terms of differences between the cells. Technology right now, though, is that you can take single cells in the brain, and they're publishing it. Like in the last six months, you'll see they look at single cells of the brain, populations of them individually, they find that they have differences in their genome, in their transcriptome, in their proteome. So they they are from the same zygote, but they're different.
0: Right, Uh, so it sounds like you actually want stable DNA throughout your lifetime. All the examples you had there sound like negative things like schizophrenia, cancer mutation?
1: Except for brain function, we could think of the complexity of neural connections that are there and the partitioning of function within the brain and creating a higher order. Even if we had a mathematician look at the complexity of function, if you had many component parts with differences, that would be the positive. So that might be normal for brain function and how the brain uses diversity for complex function and adaptability and changeability over a lifespan.
0: So what does genetic variation offspring do for an organism?
1: So, for, so if we look at genetic variation in the context of a single individual, it might be bad. I could carry a variant that leads to disease I could have lower fitness because I'm not able to reproduce and have offspring, so that would be the negative of having a particular variant that is actually affecting a function in the cell, and, and that would be m- measured in terms of how fit an individual was to reproduce. It could be neutral, could have no effect on that fitness, uh, or it could be positive. It could be that in a particular environment, one variant is great for cold adaptation, or it's great for a very arid environment. So variation as a whole in a population can be a very healthy way of having adaptability there, so that if environments change, there will be some individuals who would be able to express the variant they have that is good and fit in that particular environment. You might think of it like in a crop science, if you had a monoculture and everyone in that population was susceptible to a parasite and the parasite came in, then you would have the whole culture responding in the same way, whereas if you had some variation, there might be individuals in that culture that then could survive.
0: Mm. I want to transition to synthetic biology. So can you take us through the process of deciding to design something for function and then that process all the way to its eventual application?
1: Right. So synthetic biology has many, many meetings, And the one we might start with is taking component parts of new, new genomes and assembling them into a new mosaic genome. So we've been making transgenic animals or transgenic plants for some time, and we would say that we were putting some new function in, and we might say that we have synthesized something in that way.
0: By transgenic, do you mean a crossbreed or?
1: By taking a gene from one organism and putting it into a non-native or brand new organism. So we often have transgenic mice, they have human genes, or they have fruit fly genes and we see what it does yeah. within a, a, a mouse as an organism. It's often done in prokaryote cultures. Uh, we might think of many bacterial cultures if we want them to express some new enzyme. Uh, you might find this fang, uh, used in different industries if you wanted to have a different enzyme that gives a different flavor to a food or a different consistency you could see that being engineered. Engineered was a, a really popular word even mm. in the 70s to bioengineer something and have bioengineering degrees. Now synthesis has moved to a stage of creating from scratch, from very component parts. So there are individuals who have research programs to make a genome letter by letter, not take parts that are already assembled and put them together, but nucleotide by nucleotide, single letter by single letter, create a genome. There's a a great study to try to make the minimal genome. What's the minimum you need in terms of function? You don't want, maybe there'll be no redundancy, you just want, what's the basics to get a cell to live, to divide, or have a basic function? Mm -hmm. So there are people that synthesize from scratch, and then there's people that assemble from component parts. And they desire to have a function like making fuel uh, or making products taste in a particular way and have a unique flavor. um,
0: And you're you're looking at, you said, fruit flies with mice, but the end game for this sort of thing always seems to be humans. so.
1: So there might be a particular sequence that has a function that you value for humans. And you could start with a simple one. There's an individual with vision loss, and you want to restore vision. So there might be, for particular cells, a function you want to restore. So you may synthesize a sequence that will deliver that particular function. So we might be interested in DNA that could, if there was a mutation in one gene, restore uh, a proper function to that gene. So you can think of it as a component part that then gives that function.
0: Yeah, this really is Jurassic Park. This should have done this. I like haven't the seen the newest Ju-
1: Jurassic Park, <laughs> so I don't know what new things uh, they have. It's really exciting because there are students in universities, in as undergraduates, that are doing that component part assembly. So if they want to design things that fluoresce or that have uh, electrical current in some way or have some building block of function, they can make a proposal and order in the component parts and then they can uh, create that particular organism that has that feature they want.
0: And once they do create it, uh, they're able to duplicate it, which is also something I want to talk about. Deletions and duplications, what happens with chromosomes there?
1: So one part we study with uh, analyzing mutations is deletions and duplications within the genome. These are structural variants. So we would be thinking that uh, we know the number of chromosomes and the amount of DNA that an individual would inherit from mom and dad, but then sometimes in looking at the DNA of the offspring, we would notice that there are large deletions, so a 1,000 nucleotides or more megabases of DNA that are deleted or they're duplicated and then scientists are trying to figure out what happens when you have less or more of a gene function because that can sort of act to regulate how much product or how much function you're actually getting and it's actually many researchers here in Canada studies these copy number variants so you're supposed to have two copies, one from mom, one from dad and the individual has three, four, five or they have one or they have none then these copy number variants start to be some of that missing information <coughs> for diseases like autism. He's a specialist in autism research. So there's a lot of genetics behind some diseases and some behaviors that can't be described by a single nucleotide switch or change, but there are large chunks of DNA that are missing or they are duplicated.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to end on this. What changes has modern life brought to our DNA?
1: Right. Uh, That's a super question. It's loaded for sure. Well, it is, but we can think of some great examples because there are people that track the popularity, the introduction and the popularity of cigarette smoking. They do it for men, then they do it for women, and then they look at cancer incidences. And they can see this being mirrored later on because there's sort of a lag as to when women were smoking versus men and they see that trajectory of the increases in uh, lung cancers and they can see the effect of a particular environmental agent that became popularized and then they can see the end result. And in between all of that, we now know a mutation signature associated with cigarette smoke. They, uh, in our modern world, we have drugs that cure cancer, but they also do that by damaging DNA so we can see a signature for some of the chemotherapeutic agents. When people discovered radiation and what it could do, we saw the effects of individuals having leukemias, other cancers, and then we have a signature for that. And we know about ultraviolet light and how our modern world and our decaying ozone and how uh, quickly we become sunburned. And we look at the incidence of different skin cancers and we see a rise in the mutation signatures. There's people that actually study the eyelid of individuals that are middle middle-aged and they can already see the damage in that skin and they can see it at the single cell level all across the eyelid and it has all of the mutations that can lead to a skin cancer. So some of it's environmental, it's industrial, some of it we'll notice with things that we eat, what we drink, you might remember a bisphenol. Um, and then there are just some areas of the environment, if we think of the smog that exists in certain countries like China, and then you start to track what that can be doing to epithelial cells and in lung and nasal passages.
0: Just as an absurd example, so people Well, I was joking with my buddies the other day that in 100 years, the average human might walk around with a lump coming out of where their right pocket or left pocket is from the cell phone radiation.
1: Well, you know, there are people that study those things about cell phones and the proximity that the phone is. And uh, I haven't seen the outcome of the research. I saw it sort of proposed and being started. Uh, It will be interesting. What habits do we have today? that were fads, dietary, or products that we became you know in intimate contact with or eating and applying and then we'll see what is that later. Now that is why we have Health Canada and we have uh, the National Institute of Health and National Institute of Environmental Health and they're constantly looking at the chemical compositions of agents and they're constantly doing studies to figure out is this mutagenic, is this DNA damaging, uh, in any way,
0: we rely on them so much that it's actually only been eight years or so since it feels like everyone had a cell phone, maybe around 2010. It, and I, I, mean, I was probably so late the process. Yeah. with
1: iPad and with iPhone, and I was probably late to coming to all of it. But then you realize, you know, like, how do you run life without it? Like, yeah. the amount of correspondence, the amount of networking. And the amount that you, you learn, I use it as a data resource, and I can see, I can, it's kind of tiny print, but you know, even a student's thesis can come there, and assignments can be seen there, and, it's, and all classes can be run from the whole thing.
0: I think people are less oblivious than they used to be, because it took like 30 years for people to figure out that cigarettes were really toxic for us, and I think maybe we're a bit more suspecting of that sort of thing, but yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see as time passes.
1: Wow, well, it's very true.
0: By looking at a picture, Kathleen can tell you more about an organism than your eyes ever could. As species get further and further away from their original ancestors, it's important that we have reference to where everything came from, allowing us to see what developments have taken place in order to be a fit in the modern world. As humans, we're still waiting to see what effects our prominent modern technologies may have on us which is a scary thing to consider. In the meantime, put your phone away and enjoy the unique people you have around you. I'm Henry Standage signing out. Thanks for listening.